So turn in your Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to finish our study on the Holy Spirit next week. Uh, uh, Next Wednesday should be our last uh, study on the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're looking um, at the final gifts of the Spirit. And then next week I want to look at what the Bible says about the the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it says um, on that subject. And that will conclude. And I've also ordered, I ordered them last night. I hope they come in. But I got, I got one of those little booklets for everybody that comes on Wednesday night. I got a special gift for you. It's a spiritual gifts test. And it's very comprehensive and very in-depth. It's like 15 pages long. But I'm going to have one for everybody that shows up next Wednesday. So you can take the spiritual gift test and, and see where the Lord has gifted you to serve in the body of Christ. So Romans chapter 12. We're looking at verses 3 through 8. And um, looking at the gifts there at the very end in verses 7 and 8. But we'll start at verse 3. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump right into our Bible study tonight. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, teach us tonight as we, as we zoom in to these gifts that you talk about here in Romans chapter 12. And Lord, let us explore tonight what the Bible says about these gifts. And then, Lord, let us experience them. Lord, encourage us, challenge us, move by your spirit, and work in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. 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 All right, Romans chapter 12, verses, let's read verses 3 through 6. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. We've looked at prophecy twice, so we're going to skip that one because we we looked at it about three weeks ago, then we looked at it last week. But we're going to zoom in here at verse 7. But the thing I want to bring to your attention in verses uh, 3 through 6 is mainly, back up at verse 3, uh, and this is the key to all the gifts, okay? This is, this is, this is foundational if, if you want to operate in the gifts and you want to be used mightily by the Lord. He says in verse 3, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. To operate in the gifts, man, we got to be humble. And we got to walk in humility. We can't pump our chest. We can't say, ah, oh, look at me. Because that's when you lose the gift. That's pride. Okay? And God doesn't work through pride-filled people. He works through humble people. So as God gives you a gift to exercise in your community, in your home, in the body of Christ, stay humble. Walk in humility. And when you do that, man, hang on tight. Because he's going to use you mightily, mightily. So let's look at these gifts. Starting off at verse seven, look at verse seven. He says, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna break up this, these two verses for the rest of the night, verses seven and eight. He says in verse seven, the first gift, he says, if service in his serving. If you have a King James version, uh, it translates service ministry. So it's ministry is service. In chapter 17 of Chuck's book, uh, Living Waters, he ties service 
to the gift of helps, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So he ties together uh, service, ministry, and helps into one ministry based on the description that the scripture gives us of those ministries. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gift of healing. And then he says these two words, helps and administration in various kinds of tongues. So Pastor Chuck works administration and helps into uh, this ministry that we call service. The Greek word that's used, whether you're King James or NASB, the Greek word that's translated in some Bibles service and some Bibles ministry is diakonia. In the Blue Letter Bible, it says this word means service, ministering, administration of ministry. It means um, serving people. Just like we see the, uh, the deacons in Acts chapter 6 when they went out and they took care of the widows. Remember there were the... Uh, there were the Jewish widows and the Hellenistic widows and they were having issues and they had to be served and the disciples said, hey, instead of us taking care of them, let's, let's appoint these godly men, the deacons, and take care. So these are people that serve within the body of Christ. This is a gift, family. Everything that takes place in the body of Christ is a calling by the Holy Spirit, okay? From, from Rick back there right now, operating ProPresenter, that is a calling, that is a ministry, to Craig and Irene doing the, uh, the Facebook Live, to Stephanie coming in and, and setting up early. Everything that's done within the body of Christ, we need to understand that it is a service and it is a ministry. You can serve in the church, this gift of serving ministry, but it also it applies to serving people. Serving in the church, Ministries within the church that fall under this gift, I believe, of serving, ministry, helps, and administration. We're putting all four of those together. Could be worship team. Jeanette up here. Kevin up here. Serving on the worship team. Audio, video, greeting. Our cleaning ministry. Our people that come in on Saturdays and serve to keep our facility clean. Okay? That is a ministry. How many of you guys ever heard of Greg Laurie? Everybody's heard of Greg Laurie. You know what Greg's, Greg Laurie's first job was in the church when he visited Pastor Chuck's uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa? He went into Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa and said, Pastor, what can I do? How can I serve in the body? And Chuck Smith gave him a toilet bowl brush and a bucket and said, go clean the bathrooms. And Greg Laurie did it because it was a ministry. That, that was a ministry. Uh, bookkeeping, coming in and turning the lights on, man, page, uh, Grace, who does a wonderful job at taking care of the tithing records and the finances and input and all that stuff in the system, that's a ministry. Managing our website, our online streaming, our SoundCloud ministry. There's a lot that takes place that I didn't realize uh, when I became a pastor. I didn't realize how much takes place within the church. Before I was a pastor, before I was a pastor, I always wondered, what does the pastor do Monday through Friday? Does he just go out and play golf all week? And then come in and preach on Wednesday night and Sunday morning? No. They, pastors and people in ministry are busy, but so is the entire body that comes in and serves within the body. Everything is a ministry here. We do it all for the glory of God. From sweeping the stage to preaching the word, we do it for his honor and his glory. But let's also talk about service, ministry, gifts of helps. It also 
goes outside the body of Christ to serving people, to helping others. It could be someone picking someone up for church. It, uh, us guys went out about six or seven months ago and we, we, we built a fence for a widow in our church. That was a God-ordained, Holy Spirit-anointed ministry that we went out and took care of her fence. It could be, I believe Andy's going tomorrow to take you down to Charleston for your medical treatment, take Marty down. That's a ministry. That's a serving. That's a ministry. That's what he is getting to here. And all of these ministries, they are callings and gifts from the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ. They are quiet ministries without a lot of fanfare. But here's the deal. We don't do it to be recognized by men. We do it because we love Christ and we love the Lord. And, you know, we, we just find a place when someone comes in and says, hey, I want to serve. Where do you, I love it when they say, where do we need help? That tells me their heart is open. They're like, you know, whatever I can do to serve the body of Christ here, I will do it. We do it because we love the Lord and we do it with great joy. In most situations, uh, ministry is a team effort. Ministry, serving, helps, administration is a team effort. Romans chapter 16, verses three and four, uh, in, the, in the KJV, in the King James Version, uh, uses the phrase helpers. I, I circled it, yeah, thank you. Uh, it says, Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks until whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's helpers in his ministry. And you know what? Paul could not do it without them. I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. Man, we are a team. We are a family. And we are, we are bonded, brought together by the Spirit to, to operate in our different gifts. That word helpers in Romans chapter 16, the Greek word is sunergos. And it, according to Blue Letter Bible, it means fellow laborers, fellow workers, fellow helpers. And it uses that word fellow to indicate that we're in this together, that we are laborers together, we are workers together, and we are helpers together. That family is the gift of service that's talked about here in Romans chapter 12, verse 7. Let's look at the next gift. The next gift. And we, yeah, we got it up there. We got, I got it boxed off for you so you could see it in uh, Romans 12, verse 7. The next one is, uh, or he who teaches in his teaching. So this next gift of the Spirit within the body of Christ is the gift of teaching. It, it, it is the gift of communicating the Word of God to people. You know, this gift of teaching is more than a skill or the ability to dazzle people with your eloquent speech. It is the gift to rightly divide the Word of God. To rightly divide the Word of God. The, the Greek word is didalaskia. Didalaskia, I got it right. I had to practice that one today. Didalaskia. It means teaching doctrine teaching the precepts of scripture, explaining and imparting to others. The, the, the gift of teaching is me teaching the word from the pulpit and getting it into your hearts 
and letting the Lord use that and helping you not only understand it with your heart, but understand it with our minds. You know, let it, let it grab the whole entire person, our heart, our soul, our mind, the whole picture of, of, of learning what the scripture says. What does a teacher teach? What does a teacher teach? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 answers that question. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Repuve, re- rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. It simply means teach the word. <laughs> teach the Bible. And, and it says in season, out of season. What does that mean? It means it's good for all times. It's good for all times. You know, um, I go, you go into, I've gone into Christian bookstores before, and I'm a pastor, man. I like to peruse, go up and down the aisles and see all the books and see all the things that's out there. And, and you'll come across those sections where um, I see these big old volumes of books, and, and it's like sermons, you know, 100 sermons for 100 weeks or for two years or whatever. And, and some people have to depend on those to write out sermons. But I found this amazing sermon book that I just love. Let me tell you the best sermon book? The Bible. The Bible. You know, I praise, I praise the Lord because uh, sometimes when I get down on church on Sunday, there'll be a little panic in my heart. <gasps> what am I going to teach next Sunday? I, 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 that's happened to me in the past. But praise the Lord, I don't have those panics or those, n- those worries on Sunday afternoon and Mondays no more because I, n- I already know what I'm teaching the next Sunday. Wherever I left off on that Sunday, the next Sunday, I'm going to pick right back up. I'm just going to Calvary Chapel style, teach the word chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it's, it's good in all seasons. And, and it, it, it reproves us. It rebukes us. It exhorts us. It lifts us up. It corrects us. Sometimes you, you're going to go to church. Sometimes you're going to come to Calvary Chapel. And you're going to leave here with a hop, skip, and a step. And you can be excited. And you can be praising the Lord. And you can be singing a song. And you're going to be rejoicing going out the door. But there's going to be some Sundays you're going to leave here and you'll be like, man, he really stepped on my toes. We need both of those, okay? We, we, we need to be exhorted and lifted up from preaching and from teaching of the word. But there's sometimes where God's word is going to step on our toes and it's going to correct us. Why do we teach the Bible? What's the benefit of teaching the Bible? The answer to that question comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Why do we teach the Bible? Because the Bible is inspired by God. It's theonostos. It's, it's breathed out from the Lord. And trust me, don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit can speak through the minister, the Holy Spirit can speak through the Bible study leader and can bring things to surface and bring things to light, but the main foundational message of the teacher with the gift of teaching is to teach the scriptures. It's to teach the scriptures because what you need to know more than anything in this life is what does the word say? That's the foundation. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's a sure foundation. Psalms chapter 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. What is it that changes our hearts? The word, the word, the word. It profits the believer. It trains us in righteousness so that the man of God may be 
adequately equipped for every good work. I know one translation out there, I'm not sure which one it says, will be thoroughly equipped. It, 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 it gives us everything. It equips us for service. The Holy Spirit working in our lives and the word of God in our hearts. Watch out, devil. Watch out because you're gonna be mightily used in the kingdom of God. Amen? God gives us, God gives us specific instruction to those who teach. I think it's in James chapter three. It says that, that, that teachers will incur a stricter judgment on judgment day. That's why it's very humbling to stand up here and teach the word. And I've got to get it right. That's why I, I spend hours and hours and hours meditating on the passage, studying the passage, writing down what I believe it's saying and what I believe is what the, the thought is being conveyed. And then after, I, after I've prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to show me and I write those things down, then I go back to some commentaries and, you know, hey, am, am I in the right ballpark? Because I understand I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and I'm going to have to give an account. Uh, but, but God gives us specific instructions. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So the teacher is to accurately handle the word of truth. And notice he says there in the opening of the verse, he says, be diligent. And, and this is not just the preacher, okay? This is the Sunday school teacher. This is the teacher teaching the kids in children's church. This is the youth leader teaching the students. This is... Uh, the ladies' Bible study leader leading the ladies' Bible study. This is the, 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 the male Bible study leader leading the male. This is anybody who's teaching the word. It says, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, says, be diligent. That means the teacher who's teaching is to be focused and disciplined. To be focused and disciplined in, in, in teaching the word. And then it says, uh, to present yourself approved to God. Again, our fo the focus of the teacher is not to please the people, but to please God. Do, you know, we, we, we don't want to leave here and say, Jeanette, how was my message? Even though I ask my wife that on the way home from church every single Sunday. <laughs> I do. But the big question is, God, were you pleased with my teaching? You know, that's what we should say about teaching. That's what we should say about worship. You know, we, we leave church and we think, man, that worship was awesome. And, 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 and maybe it was, but the question we need to be asking with our worship or teaching is, God, are you pleased with our worship? That's so important. And then he says there in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, as a workman. It's interesting, interesting, he uses that word as a workman. Teaching the Bible is hard work. Teaching the Bible is hard work, and it's not easy. And it, 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 takes, stu it takes study, it takes diligent um, study and disciplines to, to cultivate a life to where you can teach the word. You gotta be in the word and it can be a challenge, but he says, as a workman, meaning you gotta work at it. And you know what, and, and, and I haven't arrived and I don't know any Bible teacher who has arrived. We're continually working on our skills to communicate the word. And then he says there, uh, who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. God is like, this is my message for them. You, young man, give it to them. 
So I'm like, yes, Lord, I want to give it to them and, and let, let, it, let the word of God bless their lives and let them rightly understand it. Our goal in teaching, our goal in teaching is, is for you to grow. It's for you to grow. I want to see you guys grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I want to see you guys be blessed by the Holy Spirit. I want to see you guys be just in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, this is speaking to you guys. This is speaking to the hearers of the teacher. He says to you guys, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So again, we're not here to fill your heads with theology and knowledge. We're just here to understand what the scripture says and to help you guys grow, to help you guys go home with something, a new understanding about the Lord and how he operates. So that's the second one. The first one was serving ministry. The second one is teaching. Let's look at the third one. It starts off in verse eight. He says, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhortation is encouraging and pushing someone forward. It's saying, Connor, you can do it, buddy. I, I got your back, man. I'm pushing you. Bud, you can do it. Michelle, you can do it. It's, it's, it's encouraging people and, and pushing them forward in life. There's two words that's used in a lot of the passages that talk about exhortation, and it's the word exhortation and the word exhort. Exhortation is parakalesis, and exhort is parakaleo. Parakalesis, exhortation, means uh, the definition, persuasive discourse for consolation and encouragement. It's to encourage someone to pursue a course of action. You are exhorting someone. When someone comes to you with a difficulty, with a challenging situation, uh, something they're facing, the Holy Spirit can give you a word of exhortation for them to press forward, to move forward, to tell them you can make it, you can do it. And maybe he gives you a, a word of knowledge that gives them an answer to their question or gives them a, a specific route to take. Um, but that's parakleos. Parakleo, which is the word, just the word exhort, E-X-H-O-R-T, it's a different word. Parakleo is translated to exhort, of course, to urge, beseech, and entreat. Let's look, I'm gonna show you some verses where these two words are, are used. I'm gonna show you parakleo and parakleosis. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse 10 says, for indeed you do practice, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we parakaleo you, brethren, to excel still more. He urges them to excel more, to go forward, to take the next step, to go up in their walk with Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. The NASB translates uh, parakaleo, encourage in verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter five. But we are to um, parakaleo one another and build one another just as you are doing. So parakaleo, this exhorting, is you're building believers up. How many of you guys know when you come to church, man, I wanna be built up. 
I don't want to be torn down. I, I want to be built up. I want to be corrected, you know, when correction is needed, but I want to be exhorted. I want to take it to the next level in my trust in Christ and my love for the Lord. Exhortation is pushing someone forward, walking alongside them, telling them that they can do it. Keep going. Don't let up. Keep going. Keep pushing them forward. And because a lot of times the person that you're encouraging, the person that you're exhorting, they, they'll be out of strength. And it'll be the Holy Spirit speaking through you to exhort them, to push them forward, to push them through that season of life that they're in right now where they're experiencing a lot of difficulty. Uh, Paraclesis, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Beautiful passage, magnificent passage. This read to a lot of people when they're down and out and they're discouraged. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all paraclesis, who comforts paracleo us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to paracleo, comfort, those who are in any affliction with the comfort paraclesis. Paul uses this Greek word over and over in these verses, which we ourselves are paracleo, comforted by God. Family, exhortation is a very, very valuable gift in our ministry, in the church, in our homes, in our communities. We need this gift being exercised more than ever before. With the trying times we're going in, the mental difficulties, the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, Lord, pour out the gift of exhortation on Calvary Chapel, Irmo. Let us be a people that go around exhorting others. Exhortation is the gift the Holy Spirit uses when someone is broken in spirit. They can't get up. It could be someone struggling with an addiction or it could, some, it could be someone struggling with the loss of a loved one. In that difficult situation, what they need is exhortation. They need encouragement. The gift of ex exhortation inspires the recipient to continue on. It inspires the recipient to not give up. It inspires the person that's being ministered to to press forward. Through the gift of exhortation, the Holy Spirit, not us, but the Holy Spirit, breathes hope and life into another believer. Let's pray for that gift. And I believe every believer can have that gift. You know, I, my, my brother Ben here, you know, we were talking about ministry and people, and Ben has the gift of exhortation. That brother has the gift in the people he goes around and encouraging and trying to help. I love it. I love it when I see brothers and sisters encouraging each other to be in church, to go to church, to be a part of Bible study, to be in fellowship, just to sometimes... Uh, Believers will call me up and just encourage me, see how I'm doing, and they'll give me a word of exhortation. And to them, I say, thank you. The pastor needs exhortation too. I know, I know if I need exhortation, I'm sure you guys do too. We all need it. So let's, let's, let's be recipients of it, but let's also give it. The fourth gift uh, moves into halfway through verse eight. He says, he who gives 
uh, he who gives with liberality. This believer gives extraordinary amounts of their time, their talents, and their treasure. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a part of all believers to give of their time and talents and treasures. But this person who gives with liberality, they have an extraordinary amount of this gift in their life where they give of their time, talents, and treasures. Here's the deal. They understand Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. Psalms 24, one, 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all the people that dwell in it. Everything is God's. Okay? We're, it's just on loan. It's just on loan. We just have it temporarily. All the money in my checking account will one day be gone. My house will one day be gone. Everything I physically have will one day be gone. Why? Because I will have stepped into eternity and everything belongs to the Lord. We need to live with an eternal perspective. In chapter 20 of our book, Living Waters, that we're going through, Pastor Chuck talks about the law of giving. Now, some believers are hesitant to give more of their time, talents, and treasures. But the scripture encourages us, even challenges us, to give more of our time, talents, and treasures. But you can look, read the entire uh, portion of, of chapter 20, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. And one of the things that Pastor Chuck says, which I agree with, is you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God in the giving of your time, your talents, and your treasures. This is one area. This, isn't, this is Old Testament. I'm going to give you an Old Testament verse. This is Gospels. I'm going to give you a Gospel verse. And this is New Testament epistles that show that we cannot outgive God, that he will bless us, that there is a return for, for the time, talents, and treasures we invest. Malachi 3.10 from the Old Testament. He told, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So he's like, I will bless you. I will take care of you as you give. Then we go into the gospels, Luke chapter six, verse 38. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. A lot of times people quote these verses. What are they always talking about? Money. But let me tell you something. It's more than just money. It's everything. It, 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 it is money. It is our treasures. But it's also our time. And, and it's also our talents. And it's also our gifts that we use in serving the Lord. Then in the New Testament, in the epistles, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Chuck Smith says, if you give with a teaspoon, you'll receive with a teaspoon. If you give with a shovel, you'll receive with a shovel. And I added to that, if you give with a dump truck, you'll receive with a dump truck. When it comes to giving, I'm just quoting from Chuck Smith here. Now, this is great, seven great principles he says in his book. Um, when it comes to, we're talking about verse eight, the gift of giving with liberality. That means giving generously, giving everything. Um, but Chuck says, when it comes to um, giving, seven principles is found in chapter 20. He says, one, give with simplicity. 
Give with simplicity. In other words, give bountifully. Give bountifully. He says, give without calling attention to yourself. Whatever you give to the Lord, you don't need to let nobody know. That's between you and the Lord. Whatever time, whatever talents, whatever treasures you give, let it be between you and the Lord. Give willingly from the heart. Giving of our time, talents, and treasures is also an act of worship. It's an act of worship serving. He says, give cheerfully. Uh, does anybody remember the first time they ever gave? I, I, I very clearly remember it in 1992 when I, I went to, I was at Bethel Temple, Assembly of God Church in Hampton, Virginia. And I'll never forget when I wrote that first check and I put it in the offering box. Man, it was just, from there on, I was just blown away and it brought such joy. Why? Because little sailor David from Norfolk Naval Base going to this church there in Virginia Beach or Hampton, you know, I was like, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. And as I saw people giving their life to Christ, you know, I felt through my giving that I was a part of that. It just made me part of that church. Uh, but, but it brought joy. It brought joy. I, I, I was exciting. It was exciting to know that I was, I was giving of my treasures for the kingdom of God. Then he also, he says, give honestly, give freely. And number one, give because of love. We give of our time, talents, and treasures because of love. Because of the love of God that's been poured into our hearts. That's why we give. And all these principles that, that Pastor Chuck talks about, um, it comes down to, to our, our time, our talents, and our treasures. It comes to everything in serving the Lord. Number five, number five, in verse eight. Yes, number five. Verse eight, he says, he who leads with diligence. He who leads with diligence. So the church, just like everybody, just like all organizations in this world, there has to be a structure. There has to be leadership. When there's leadership and there's structure, uh, that, that prevents us from falling into chaos. And that keeps things orderly. God has established leadership structure within the church. Pastors and elders are gifted by the Holy Spirit to lead the body of Christ. They are to oversee the spiritual well-being of the church. They are not the boss. They're not the ones we're here to please. They're just here to oversee things to make, think, make sure that the, the body of Christ is being ministered to. So if we have someone in the body that's in need or needs help or needs prayed for, the elders and the pastor oversee the ministry, oversee to make sure that ministry is taken care of for that person, that they're prayed for, they're taken care of. You know, that's the job of the leaders. Um, uh, leadership qualifications comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and this verses 6 and 7 where the scripture says it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer it is a fine work he desires to do an overseer then must be above reproach in other words he needs to have a good reputation you know he he needs to be living to the standard of godliness and according to scripture the husband of one wife that's self-explanatory one wife a, a one woman man 
temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. These qualities in the, the church leadership is uh, people that set the example. People that set the example. I can't be going out and living like the devil Monday through Friday and then coming here on Sunday and, and teach the word and expect you guys to listen to me. You know, we have to be living what the word says. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then verses six and seven, not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snares of the devil. Now, different churches have different leadership styles. Some churches are elder-led churches. Some churches are pastor-led churches. Some churches are congregational-led churches. And the list goes on and on and on of the different um, leadership structures. Really, I see two in scripture. You see the pastor-led church and you see the elder-led church. Um, And at Calvary Chapel, we are set up, just so you know, we are set up with the pastor as the leader of the local fellowship. And then there are elders. These are godly men who help the pastor make decisions. And as I said a while ago, provide spiritual leadership for the church. And I'm very thankful for the godly men who serve as elders. And let me tell you something. The elders we have now, they are the best in the business. These guys do all the grunt work. They do all the hard work. And, and they are amazing. And I'm very thankful for them. And, uh, and they, they love the Lord. They live lives that, that display that. And I'm very thankful for that. But how about our ladies? Then there are the role in our church. Then there are roles in our church here at Calvary Chapel Irma where women oversee ministries. Examples, Dina Sharp, who oversees children's ministry. Irene, my wife, who oversees women's ministry. Stephanie James, who oversees our outreach ministry. Ida, Hipkins, who oversees our hospitalities. You know, we don't use this word because it just, nobody uses it in churches. But biblically speaking, you know what they, you know what they would be? They would be deaconesses. <laughs> but we don't use that word. That's uh, Romans chapter 16, verses one and two. That's how Phoebe is described. It says that she was a, a deonicus. She was a deaconess. But these godly women, Dina, Irene, Stephanie, Ida, they are like Phoebe. In Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, in the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, they are gifted servants who do an amazing job at leading these ministries in our church. And without those four ladies, man, we would, we, we would, we would be a mess. So I'm very thankful for them. I'm very thankful for the ladies who serve in our church. I'm thankful for the elders who serve in our church. And we have a solid uh, structure here that everybody is, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, pretty, it's really nice here. The way youth ministry, children's ministry, everybody is doing their part. And it just, it makes it a joy as a pastor to serve in a church where everyone is, is doing their part. But we gotta have leaders. We, we gotta have leaders. The, um, the final, the final one t- that we're looking at tonight is uh, verse eight. He says there, 
He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy takes place when you know someone deserves judgment. Their guilt is plain as day, yet the Holy Spirit, talking about this gift, the Holy Spirit gives us the supernatural ability to show mercy. It's like you're guilty and, and people want to drop the gavel, but then there's that believer, that Christian that comes along who's gifted by the Holy Spirit and says, you know what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That can be very challenging. That can be very difficult. Let's watch a video. I got, I got a video I want to show you guys. So if we could drop the lights and show the video. This is a beautiful picture of mercy. You never knew it was always a surprise what he had gotten into that day. However, there was no heavier surprise than to receive a call that your dad had been shot and killed. It will be a day I never forget. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. That's mercy. That's mercy. That's, that's mercy. As I watch that video, that's, that's the gift of mercy. When someone deserves judgment rightfully, and they deserve to be punished, but we show them mercy. We show them mercy. And uh, that young lady displayed the gift of mercy. Psalms 103 verse 11 says, the word of God says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. The universe is endless in every direction. If you got into a space shuttle and took off into space, you would never run into a brick wall. That's how the heavens, that's how big the heavens are around planet Earth. And the, and the scripture says, so great. 
As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the mercy toward those who fear him. You know, that's the mercy of God. That's the character of God to display mercy, okay? God is a God of justice, and he can display mercy to us and still maintain his justice. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the bullet for you and me. He took the punishment. He took the jail sentence. He took the death penalty for us. So that means God is completely just and right. And at the same time, he can show you and me mercy. That is the love of God, that we walk in mercy. That, Lord, please magnify that gift in our body so that when the wretched, poor, blind sinner comes in, you know, we're not Pharisees. We're not religious people judging people. We welcome all people to come in, no matter how far away they are from God. We will come in and we will love them and we will show them mercy, love, and compassion in all situations. We'll speak the truth in love. We will not compromise on the scriptures, but we're gonna do it with grace, love, and mercy. You see, we are not merciful. Human beings in this world, in the natural realm, we are not merciful by nature. We want justice unless we are the one that's done something wrong then we are the one begging for mercy. Mercy contrasts with judgment. So many times we, we, we like to say, he got exactly what he deserved, and that's justice. But when you think like this, you need to keep in mind what it would be like if God gave you and I justice for our sin. It would be hell to pay, literally. Instead, our merciful God our graceful God, our faithful God, instead of showing us judgment, he placed the judgment on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shows me and you grace and mercy. That's amazing. Because of his amazing love and his amazing kindness. Family, let us pray tonight. God, let your mercy be magnified in our lives. Amen? Let your mercy be magnified in us. We pray that the Holy Spirit gives us this gift of mercy that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. He says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, we show mercy with a thankful heart, with a happy heart. You know, when, when somebody unveils their struggle, their sin, uh, you know, they brace themselves. Man, you're going to judge me. You're going to throw me up against the wall. But instead of judging them, let's, be, let's show them mercy. And also, when you show mercy, you reflect the character of Christ. And I, be, I believe, you know, um, that when, when we get tested in these areas of, of mercy, and, and, that when we show mercy, after it's all said and done, it brings great joy. It brings, it brings great joy to your heart. Like, yes, I did it. Thank you, Lord. Because before I came to Christ, man, I was, a, I was a judgmental person. 
I judge people up and down just by their appearance. But through coming to Christ, he, he's, he's removed that. He's, he's forgiven me of that. And I'm able to display mercy. So that's what we're praying tonight. We're praying the Lord will use us mightily in service, in, in ministry, in, in the gift of helps, administration, in the church. Remember, everything that's done here is, is done by the Holy Spirit. From Daniel playing drums to Tirza restocking our storage room, who does an amazing job, to teaching, the teaching from the pulpit, the teaching in youth, the teaching in children, to exhortation, to lifting people up. You know what was really cool this past Sunday? Was um, me and Irene looked at each other and said, we, 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 got, we got to take Daniel out for lunch because um, we wanted to get the family together. And I'm normally the one here to shut the lights off and cut the AC off. But first off, I went late. I didn't get done until like 11.55. And at 12.15, there's still 30 people here fellowshipping and talking and, and lifting each other up. And so I said, all right, Maurice, you got the keys, man, I'm out of here. I said, I am not stopping that because that's Holy Spirit time. That's ministry time. That's exhortation time before and after service. People encouraging and sitting down and having conversations and letting the Lord use them. So we took off and that ministry went on for a very long time, praise the Lord. Uh, giving, we need to pray that the Lord increases our giving of, of our time, our talents, and our treasures. We need to pray for our leadership. We're going to have a, an ordination service here, hopefully in the next month, uh, to present the entire body, our elders. And... Um, but I, I got an amazing group of men. I got an amazing group of men. I'm, in the beginning of Calvary Chapel, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and I was stressed out because I was, you know, just having to do all the little things, you know, and just putting it all together. But, man, Bud and Andy and Maurice and Paul, those guys, man, they are amazing. They, they, put, it, they put it all together, and they, these guys roll up their sleeves. They're not just here to make decisions you know, to sit around the table and make elder decisions on how we should do things. These guys come to me and say, hey, what can I do? How can I serve? So I'm thankful for our leadership. And then finally, mercy. Let's be a church that displays mercy. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this night. Father, thank you for this study of Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 8. And Father, I just pray, God, um, that you would... Uh, strengthen us in these ministries, Lord, and that you will raise up more people to serve, to minister, to teach, to exhort, to give, to lead, and to display mercy. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we pray, God, that you just do a great and mighty work in our fellowship as we talk about the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.